Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Do you want to talk about how to match the best game to go with your GM brain? Yes. It's like a journey for all of us, I think. Well, then let's get that journey started with a little music. Cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am your GM who, if you believe into that stuff, exists a lot in his right brain, (laughs) Phil. And I am your other GM, Senda. And I guess that probably makes me the left brain GM, which, again, if you believe in that stuff, I think it's been debunked. It's been debunked. I'm left handed. So I was making a little left hand, right hand joke. Sure. (laughs) But you are also tend to be more logical. (laughs) At times. Anyway, welcome. (laughs) We got a topic. We've been hinting about it since the opening. Senda, what's our topic for today? Sure. Um, For our topic today, Masukomi asked us a question on Mastodon, and here it is. Um, They asked, Senda said something in the last Panda episode uh, I'd be curious to hear more about. Now, to be fair, it's no longer the last episode, I realize, as I read that line, (laughs) but we'll just keep moving right along. First, she essentially said that Fate Accelerated was the first game that really supported running games the way her brain worked. Then she said she'd played Core um, slash Condensed. I haven't actually played Condensed, but never run it, and implied that it was different. To me, the only difference is using an approach versus a core stat for rolling, but that feels more like a player-facing change than a GM-facing change. Sure. Um, I think there are two kinds of topics here. The main one being, how does one find the right game for their GM brain, or more specifically, what are the criteria slash sliders slash whatever that one needs to consider about how their brain works relative to games in order to know what to look for? to find a game that supports them in being the best GM that they can be. That's the question we're going to answer today. Yeah. How does one, how does one find the right game for their GM brain? It's pretty catchy actually. It is right. Get the right brain for your GM brain. Wait, wait. Get the right game for your GM brain. (laughs) I think I said brain both times. You did. All right. Good topic. Good topic. And it's going to, we're going to have to go on a little journey here, right? In order to get us to the answer to the question, we got to actually build some stuff so that we have a framework by which we can talk about this stuff. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard and we're going to get into a whole lot of it depends, which we don't really like to do around here. So what we're going to do is we are going to break the quote GM brain into some parts. Now. I'm going to preface this right now. We made all this shit up. Okay. <laughs> yes, um, yes. So let me just say this. The parts that I have segmented the brain into are not absolute. They are not a complete list. And I am purposely excluding things like likes and wants. Yeah. Okay. Because likes and wants are a whole other thing. And if people want to hear how everything that we're going to talk about today then weighs in against likes and wants, like, We can talk about that as well, because likes and wants will override a bunch of this shit. If you want something or like something enough, you will you will play games that your brain is not ideally suited for and just figure out how to get through them. But for us to talk about game, finding the right game for your brain, we're going to look at this a little more clinically. So I've taken the emotional part out. We're going to just park it. I know it's there. You know, it's there, but we're not talking about it today. Okay. Okay. We've created a very simple model, but enough that I think it will highlight what we're trying to talk about here. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. All right. All right. We are going to dissect the GM brain into four chunks and we're going to ping pong through and talk about each chunk. So um, why don't you tell us about the first segment of the GM brain? Yeah, the first one is creative, which is having the ability to make new things or think of new ideas. And it can also mean showing or requiring imagination, right? So in GMing, this is things like making up lines of dialogue, coming up with interesting plots and descriptions and etc. right? Like all of the things that we have to do to create 
creatively create a world or a setting or a space to play in, right? All of those pieces. Um, some of the actions that go along with being creative are storytelling, improv GMing, designing scenarios, uh, creating NPC descriptions and backgrounds, um, and all the things about those, those people, um, and creating setting material. Again, probably probably there's more than that, right? Like oh, here's a short list. There's yeah, 100%, here's a short list. Hundred <laughs> percent. There's more than that list. Yeah, yeah. These are example actions. How's that? Sure, that that makes sense. Yeah, we'll okay. call them example actions. But example yeah, so actions. Those are some very common creative actions that we have to take. Yeah. Correct. What's the next one? Okay, the next segment of the GM brain is analytical. The study of something or relating to analysis, it can also mean having or showing skill in thinking and reasoning. All right. So for a GM, this is going to be your ability to use the rules of the game, mm -hmm. uh, knowing how special abilities interact, like specifically when the rules don't tell you, like when you look at one, you know, like one feet and another feet and, you know, the player's like, I'm taking both of these. And you kind of look at them and you're like, ooh, there's some weird interactions or, you know, this is where min maxing comes from, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Right. Understanding how to apply rules when you're doing rulings. Right. So if you're playing a game that's got very little rules, but a lot of rulings, you're being analytical. Um, some of our example actions, combat tactics. Yeah. Making rulings, like we said, mm -hmm. creating complex NPCs mechanically. Senda yes. talked about the creative part about describing them in their backgrounds. That's creative. But putting down stat blocks and special abilities and things like that, that's more analytical. Yeah. Uh, so is creating encounters, right? Yeah. And specifically, I'm going to couch this as conflict encounters. Sure. Um, one, especially ones where you are trying to um, pull in stuff like not just monsters, but environment and things like that. It falls into kind of the same realm as tactics, which is why it falls under the analytical portion of the brain. Yep. Cool. What's our next chunk? Executive. So this is a set of cognitive skills that help people plan and execute tasks. So this ends up being things like prep. Um, or the function of actually running or facilitating a game at the table, right? Um, being organized, um, all of that stuff that <laughs> in life too, right? Um, so some examples of um, the executive function of GMing are organizing game sessions, prepping session notes, managing a complicated table if you have a bunch of maps or minis, et cetera, or even just um, limited space and everybody needs to have bennies and, you know, whatever it is, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I am a person, right, with like kind of an overactive executive function at times. Um, I like have written, like I wrote an article for, um, I wrote an article a long time ago for Gnome Stew, right? The mise en place of, the mise en place of GMing. Right. And we have how, talked about it, I think, yeah, before. Yeah, absolutely. How do you arrange your space? Yeah. And if you've ever played with someone who does not excel at this, that is running a complicated table, and I mean like with lots of parts, you will see things like they're diving into boxes to grab minis at the last minute. Then, you know, they knock something over because, you know, they're not aware of what's like over here on the left as they're pulling, you know, their mini box onto the table, but then they need to also get their counters, right? Like that kind of thing. That's right. That, those are executive challenges um, that, in that managing the like, flow of your table. That sounds like the reason why, no, not the only reason, but but one of the reasons why I don't personally go in for mini heavy games, because you've just described me as a GM at that table, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly, right? It, like, as opposed to like someone who has like all of their encounters in boxes, right? Mm -hmm. So like... like this is encounter one. I pull out box one. It has everything I needed in it. It's all split out and organized. And here are the counters in the exactly. same box over to the side, which yeah. is how you would do that. Yes. Right. right. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, I know this. Yeah. I yeah. would 100%. And I would go find a box that the containers went in. Yes, so that you could put them in order like a box filing system. Correct. And just put yes. them down next to me so that like, yep. I could just reach down and, and pull out one. And then you would one. pull out the next box, right? Correct. And you would move the other box over to the other side and then you just one. reach for the next one. Boop. 100%, right? Yes. Okay. That's like <laughs> hyper executive function. Okay. I would be just knocking shit over. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Which again, this is going to get into our GM brains, right? Yes, this is the it is. It we're is, right? About. Anyway, the last one. The last one is recall, to remember 
or recollect something from the past. For GMs, this is going to involve being able to remember things, right? Things in your memory, rules, stats, items, settings, details, character names, um, elements of, you know, all the different elements of the game. The example actions include remembering rules um, Mm -hmm. and remembering setting like parts of the setting, like remembering when the great battle, you know, for, you know, the ring or whatever, like, I don't know, like being able to remember that shit, like who killed Sturm? Well, we all know who killed Sturm. Jerry did. (laughs) (laughs) Don't listen to Misdirected Mark. If you're not listening to Misdirected Mark, that joke won't be as funny, but it's very good. Anyway, we love you, Jerry. All right. Anyway, that's recall. Okay. So let me just, before we jump into the next section, one, these boundaries are not absolute. Oh, I'm going to just jump ahead of my own rule of my own things here. Right. Um, These boundaries are not absolute. Uh, Some of these things will border. You have one as an example later Mm -hmm. in the show that when I started to think about it is actually um, it borders on um, executive and creative, depending on which part you like. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We'll talk about it when we get there. Right. We'll talk about it. So I just want to be clear. Right. This is just a model. Right. This isn't absolutes. But if you're starting to get the idea of what we're talking about is that certain actions resonate with certain activities in your brain. Okay. And this is how we're going to start to um, dissect your GM brain. We're not yep. going to do it. You're going to do it. Hint. Yeah, you got to um, do it. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to show you how to dissect your GM brain. So one, now that we have these example actions and we have these sections of our GM brain, what is the next thing we need to consider? Yeah, I think the next thing is really you have to recognize the things that you are good at. They come easily to you. They go smoothly. They don't require extra effort. They're sort of natural, right? Well, I'm going to preface that. They don't have to be natural. They can be. They can be. Trained. So with all that said, there's some additional things we need to uh, recognize and consider as we talk about this GM brain concept. Yeah. And those are the things, firstly, right? The things that you are good at. Those are the things that come easily to us. They go smoothly. They don't require extra effort, et cetera. Yeah, you might have a natural skill for them. You might have trained yourself to do these things. Whatever it is, um, you are good at it. Like, I was not born good at Excel spreadsheets, but but, I am good at Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, they don't now, they don't now require extra effort because now you are good at them. Yes. Yes. Which I think will highlight a good point here is go ahead and tell us the second one and then I'll come back and make my point. Yeah, I think it's a good point too. I I think I know what you're going to say. Anyway, the, the second part is things that we struggle at. Um, So these are things we have issues doing these things. They're a struggle. They don't come easily. They require extra effort, right? They might require practice. Now, the origins of these things can be, these can be untrained skills. Yeah. But I also want to be cognizant that these can also be um, clinical. Yeah. Right. So for instance, ADHD will create a set of struggles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They'll also create a number of things you're good at as well, right? But they'll also create struggles. So recognize that um, your struggles may come from different places. And yes, and sometimes there are things that you may look at, like Phil has done in the past and say, this thing is a struggle for me. How do I make it not be a struggle? Mm -hmm. I'm specifically going to train up this skill and practice it so that it doesn't require extra effort anymore, right? 15 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, improv GMing was a struggle for me. Like, could I do it? Yes. Was I good at it? No. But then I spent years practicing it yeah. until I moved it from struggle to good. Now, that was the point I was going to make is that for things that are untrained skills, yeah, you can move them from struggle to good. For things that are clinical, you may not be able to do that. Mm-hmm. There may just be some things that are like, this is a thing that's in my struggle column and will always be in my struggle column. And that goes back to 
the whole reason why we want to have this conversation is to pick the correct games, right? And we'll get yeah. to that formula in a little bit. Okay, so good versus struggle. Yep. Okay, what's the other kind of thing we're going to also consider? Yeah, the next part is things that bring us energy, which, you know, doing this thing makes me feel good, feel better, gives me the dopamine hit. I get my charge from doing this thing. 100%. It fills spoon, me up. Spoon generating. Spoon giving, yes. Yeah. Versus things that take energy, um, which are things that doing those things wear us down. They require experience been expending of energy or spoons to do them and um when you're done instead of feeling energized you feel tired right and those are things we tend to be we tend to like them less or be reluctant to do them or afraid of doing them etc right sure we avoid things that drain us we we are drawn towards things that in like energize us yeah now there's an obvious correlation between good struggle and bring and drain energy Right. Yes. But that yeah. is not absolute. Right. There's some no. collab, like some correlation between those, but there are definitely outliers. Right. You can be good at something, but not get energy from doing it. Yes. Like I will. And I'm going to take this out of the GMing realm and into the professional realm. Sure. I am very good at fostering collaboration among a group of people. You are. Yeah. But it makes me tired. Yes. And it makes me want to hide from people after I've done it for too long. Yes. Yeah. So it is a thing I'm good at, but it is a thing that drains energy from me. Yeah. And that's okay, right? That the, the pairing is fine. You can also struggle at something and get energy from doing it. Yeah. You may just sure. not be very good at this thing, but you like doing it. And again, if it's a trainable skill, it may, it'll eventually probably move from struggle to good. Yeah, for me, this is a lot of craft things, right? Because I have the audacity to believe that I can accomplish any craft thing. Um, and I picked up spinning briefly for a hot second um, a couple of years ago, um, spun one skein of wool into yarn and went, yes, I have done the thing. And I'm going to tell you, I was not good at it, right? Like right. there's nothing about this yarn that is smooth, polished, professional. Um, it was challenging to do and to keep it going, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. <laughs> it gave Fair. me a lot of energy to do it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. So. Keep that in mind, right? Don't correlate good with, with bringing energy and struggle with taking energy. Don't stick them together. Consider them separate. They float. Yeah. Okay. They can, they can pair up in all sorts of ways. In all sorts of unique ways because brains are weird and complicated. Yes. <laughs> also, I didn't put this at the beginning of the thing, yeah. but I'll make it right now. We are not trained in this oh, yeah. at all. Yeah, we should probably say that. <laughs> we have no training. I took no psychology classes in college. Right, I took a either. shit ton of biology classes, sure. which is why I like to classify and dissect things. It is. But and it, why probably why you make quadrants out of everything. Right? Oh, I fucking love quadrants, <laughs> right? I will like that that is half my biology training and half of just having some OCD, right? I will put anything into bins if you let me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I think I think our, our level of training on this is uh, we've both been in therapy for a while. We're also <laughs> GMs. Like, we are GMs. I'm going to bank all of my training on this, on the fact that like as a 40 year GM, I might know some shit. It's true. About GMing. Yes. OK. Anyway. All right. That that disclaimer out of the way. <laughs> that disclaimer. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, all right. We now have a model, right? We have these four quadrants, these example activities, and we have created some parameters of things we're good at versus things we struggle at and things that bring us energy versus things that take energy. And now we can start to talk about the GM brain. Um, we can start to take. So what you can do, right? What you should do is take those example activities and start to consider those two pairs, right? What am I good at? What do I struggle at? What brings me energy? What takes energy? Now, for the sake of the recording, we cannot bin all of these right here for both of us, right? We'll be yes. here all day. Yes. What we can do is do some examples. So yes. we are going to do, 
for good and struggle, for give and take energy, we're going to give you one of each and talk a little bit about them for each of us. Yeah. Does that make sense? What we're going to do here with these examples is what you should be doing across all of them. Yes. You can do certain activities. You can also do whole areas. You could just be like, boy, executive is just a struggle for me, period. Or it could be this particular part of executive is a struggle for me. Yes. Okay. Whatever makes the most sense to you. Make a chart. Use a spreadsheet. (laughs) Yeah. So let's, and again, we're only giving single examples here. So obviously there are many things we're good at, but we're all, we're each picking one to talk about it. Stenda, tell me a thing you're good at. I am good at improv DMing. You are very good at improv DMing. My first game with you was an improv GM game and I I was very impressed with you. You were very impressed because I wrote down the sentence on an index card and you talked about it for years and then we ran the whole game and it was great fun. Yeah, I did. I was very impressed by you. You ran a very good game. Thanks. Okay. (laughs) So improv GMing is a creative activity. Yes. That is a thing you are good at. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty good at most of the creative stuff, but I strongly good at improv jamming. Yeah. Yep. What's what's one thing that you are good at? No surprise. <laughs> no surprise when it comes to executive, I am good at prepping session notes. Yeah, you really are. I'm, I am actually like I have a system. I, I have a whole system for how I do it and kind of like I have a similar format for each game for how I format things in my OneNote notebook. Um I, um, I just have a system for it and I'm good at it. I don't, and I like it, right? Don't get me wrong, but it is a thing I have put a lot of energy into developing that skill and then also put a bunch of energy into writing down how I did it. So you could do it too, by the way, go check out Never Unprepared. Yep. That's the one. That's the thing right there. (laughs) Okay. Um, Stenda. Yes. Tell me a thing. <laughs> well, no, wait, wait, let me back up for a second. Let me just, sure. let me preface this real quick. Sure. I wasn't always good at prepping session notes. I mean, I always, I always prepped games, right? I always prepped games. I wrote shit down. But years and years ago, my solution to prep, right? And again, let me, you know, we always say this, right? Prep is the thing you do in order to be comfortable enough to run at the table. My prep in the past used to be volume, like voluminous, right? Like I wrote way more than I needed to. And it wasn't until um, a few years before Never Unprepared that I actually uh, focused energy on the skill of making my prep uh, smaller, like less noise, more signal. Yeah. Right. And that's what's in Never Unprepared is like how to life hack your prep. Yeah. And uh, the thing that I will say for my part is I don't think that I've always been like masterfully good at improv GMing. It was an easier skill for me to pick up than learning um, the prep skills, right? It but was also easier have, for me to do that. And I have a background in theater. You were right? a like theater I, kid. I, have, you have a, like, I do have training in yeah. improv, right? And I do have training in theater. So applying those skills to GMing was easier for me. 100%. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. For sure. Okay. Now let's jump to the next one. Things we struggle at. Send up. What is the thing you struggle at? Yeah, this one is fun. And and I just before I even say it, it's not going to be a surprise to anyone because I've said it before, actually. Um, but it's fun now because I finally understand. This is the first year that I finally understand why I have this problem, right? I struggle with recall. I don't just struggle with recall in games. I struggle with recall across the board. Um, I read through all of these show notes and I wrote things down before we started recording. I don't remember what comes next. I do not remember what comes next. That's just the way that my brain works. This is a pretty typical ADHD problem. This is the, um, I just measured this as I'm sewing and I turned away for 10 seconds and I already don't remember how long that bit was. And I'm going to measure that thing probably two or three more times, right? I don't remember how many minutes I need to put the thing in the oven for. I just read the instructions and then I put the thing in the oven and then I went to start the timer and I can't throw that box away until I have set the timer because I will have to look at it again, right? Like this is just the the basic recall stuff. So struggle for me, recall. Now apply that to games. Um, 
Now we're talking about things like struggling to remember specific details about rules, um, specific details about settings or something that I don't inherently know, etc. Right? Like it's just it's trying to remember all that detailed information. I'm not good at it. So I'm actually 100% there with you, right? And what's surprising is, um, what's surprising is, you have a diagnosis for this, right? Like yes, I do. You have ADHD. <laughs> um, I don't have ADHD, but I also have recall issues. And you know this because yes. um, you are aware of like, you are aware of things like, I can't remember if I locked my front door, even though I am such a creature of habit, I always lock it the same way. Yes. Right. Um, but I also have recall issues where um, I cannot remember um, like lots of rules and things like that. And I don't think mine's an ADHD thing. I will tell you where I think mine comes from, which is a training thing. When I was in college and I was um, studying to be a scientist uh, in my organic chemistry class, my professor specifically told us, don't memorize this. This is a language. Learn the language and know how to look stuff up. And so I have over the years conditioned myself to not remember stuff and just rely on auxiliary sources to pull material. Now, I will also say that I have a certain amount of childhood trauma that I think also screws with my ability to recall things. The thing that I wanted to insert here is that recall issues are also strongly associated with PTSD, a yes. thing that I also have that I don't know if you have an official diagnosis for, but I, would not surprise me in the least if you did. I um, don't. <laughs> but I I don't. But you're 100 percent correct, right? But, like, but it is it is an it, it, recall issues are strongly associated with a lot of different types of neuro spiciness. So this may be a pretty common experience across the board yeah. that we just like detail stuff like that just doesn't stick. <laughs> yeah, and if Ooh, I get Brittany. frustrated or anxious. It my ability worse. to recall yeah. gets even worse, yeah. right? So, and it's really interesting on this topic of recall because one of the first emotional connections you and I made yeah. was <laughs> I had said something to you about how because of my childhood, I have largely forgotten the span of about three years of my childhood. Like I know some things about those periods, and I know the stories people have told me about those periods, but I don't actually recall those times because of the trauma um, that I that I went through. And and of course, that went undiagnosed for eons. Right. Um, <laughs> and so right. I didn't I didn't have anyone to tell about the missing year of my childhood for years and years either. But also last week. Last week, this is this is how long this stuff can take to, to to pick apart, right? But last week, I learned that that is a type of disassociation, also associated with PTSD. I would not right would not be surprised, right? right? So that's <laughs> there right. You go. So my recall is somewhat damaged um, as well. Um, and what's really interesting is that if I'm not in a stressful place my recalls okay-ish. Um, the more stress I'm under, i.e. performing, i.e. Mm -hmm. at the table playing where I don't want there to be any gaps in time, my recall gets worse. Yep. Okay. So I share that one with you, but I also want to bring up another one that I struggle with, which is tactics. Mm -hmm. Now, my problem with tactics comes from two places. Um, one, I don't think I'm like super great at tactics. I'm not the best board game player. I'm a I'm a mediocre chess player, um, those kinds of things. But two, tactics also require recall. Yeah, they do. Right? You have and to so, remember the minutiae of the rules. Correct. Yeah. To know how to manipulate them, <laughs> yeah. which I cannot do. Right. Yeah. So because I can't do that, tactics is just a struggle for me um, on a on a like multifaceted front. I'm not super gifted at it. And then also I can't. I can't run through a trove of like treasure trove of rules to find cool things to pull into my tactics. Just not good at it. Struggle every time I have to do tactics. Okay. Yeah, right. Cool. All right. Good. 
All right, cool. we're like 100% on our shit today, right? Like yeah. talking about the emotional side of gaming. I we mean, are in there deep. This, Just telling I, you that. How could we not? Anyway. Okay. Cool. Things that give us energy. Yeah. Okay. Tell me the thing you're going to give us energy. I want to also talk a little bit about it after you say it. Okay, cool. Because, uh, yeah. Um, I, the thing that gives me energy, the, I think the most energy from gaming, um, again, this is just one thing that we're listing quickly, right? But the thing that gives me energy is collaboration at the table. Cool. Now, can yeah. I pick it apart for a second? Now you can pick it apart. Yes. Okay. No, and I, I want to pick it apart because I want to. I want to highlight something. I here. know. I I have to tell everybody at home that you're like rubbing your hands yes. together like you're about to eat a delicious meal. <laughs> well, I had a thought about this. Right. Yes. Do you like the act of combining ideas to like tell a story, make a background, or something, or do you like the ability of getting people to contribute pieces to a greater whole? Both. Okay. The first one of those is creative. Yes. Yep. I like to work with a bunch of people to come up with something that is greater than the thing I thought of, right? That yes. is that is a creative activity. The action of getting people to collaborate, right? To to get somebody who's quiet to coax something out of them and who's somebody who's loud to kind of tamp them down a little so they don't override the whole, you know, the whole idea synthesis. That is executive. Yeah. Okay. I just want to, so mm -hmm. when we talk about like the kind of messy boundaries before, this is yep. what I'm talking about is, yep. <laughs> is that collaboration, there are parts of collaboration, like you might love, I'm not talking about you, but listener, you might love the idea of working with people to synthesize ideas um, to make something greater than the thing you were thinking of, but you might not get energy from having to work people to do it. And that your preference is you just need people who are good at it so that it, so that part's smoother. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Yep. Okay, cool. Anyway, collaboration is awesome. That's a great thing um, energy wise. Yeah. I, and I'm actually a big proponent of it too. I also love collaboration. I know you do. Um, but for the, for the interest of um, having selected different things, tell me yours. Yeah. Uh, improv GMing is actually mine. I've talked yeah. about this many, many times. I get a huge rush. Yes. <laughs> when things go not the way I expected them to, like yes. when the dice take a, a certain role or the players make a certain decision, I get like a little, like I get like a little burst of energy at the table and not to plug my own shit again. You can read <laughs> one of my first experiences of it in Unframed, which is a book, uh, an uh, engine publishing book about improv that I had my first dose of that. Uh, in a D20 modern game, uh, and I've been hooked on it ever since. So I will talk about how I kind of make that happen in games. But yeah, improv, improv GMing, that portion of it, which sounds hysterical because I'm also really good at prepping. How do those two things work? We can talk about that in a future episode. Yeah, that, that might be a but whole they different do thing. Work. They do work they together. They actually absolutely. do work together. Yeah. Um, but I do get energy from improv GMing. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Let's talk about the things that dream. <sighs> <laughs> right mine mine is um so this is this is executive right mine mm -hmm. is organizing game sessions sure um there's no there's no i mean look it's fine even at its best it's not great it's right? challenging <laughs> and 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 boy it just it just takes a lot of work yeah yeah and for me, that thing that drains energy is creating complex uh, NPCs. Like if the game has things where there needs to be like a lot of stats, special abilities, equipment, cybernetics, whatever, superpowers, whatever. Like I, oh God, I, I ugh, like, <laughs> ugh, like I, it is not, I have no love for it whatsoever, which is funny because now we're going to talk about how to overcome those things. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, good. So by those examples, we want you to do the same thing. If you're interested in this, like get a piece of paper, right? Write, write down, you know, write down things I'm good at, things I struggle at, things that give me energy, things that drain energy. Go back to that list of those example activities. You can put things in more than one of those boxes. Yeah. Right? And, you can and be like, please this put is down good. more than one, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I'm good at this, but it also drains energy or I'm yes. good at this. It also gives me energy, that kind of thing. Yes. Okay. So now that you have created this map and we're going to pretend like we did. Sure. Um, now we need to figure out how to use that to figure out what games we should pick and which games we should avoid. 
Yeah, this should be kind of obvious, but what we want to do is find games that support the things that we struggle with, give us tools for them or make them easier. To make them easier. Yeah. Um, That take advantage of the things that we are good at, right? And that give us more energy in the end than they took to engage with. You're likely going to have to like spend some energy. Exactly. And there's a misdirected mark episode. I think it's probably still up on the website where we talk about this. The energy you get from playing the game needs to outweigh any energy that you had to spend to get it to get to the end of the game session. That includes prep and actually prep, getting everybody to the game, playing the game. Right. Yes. There needs to be a net positive in energy. Otherwise, you'll start to think, why am I doing this? Yep. (laughs) Been there, done that. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So for this part, um, we're going to give some examples, some further examples by taking our items from the list above. And we're going to talk about how we look for those things uh, in games. Yeah. Okay. So I will ping pong back and forth through these. Ping pong. I'll kick kick off the first one and then I'll kick it to you and we'll just go back and forth till we get through. Okay. All right. So my first one I had said before was uh, something I'm good at, which is prep. Um, I like to prep. Um, So I like games that empower me to run my own material. Yes. Right. I don't want to play a game that's got canned scenarios. Um, You can have a game that has scenarios with it. I am probably going to ignore them yeah um i like to prep my own stuff and that is part prep but it's also part creative like Mm -hmm. so i'm good i'm good like that if a game is so locked in that like for instance nah it's not even a good example there are some games that are just like basically playable like playable module kind of thing less my less my flavor um but for me because i like to prep uh a large variety of games are open to me Right. Because I can prep a lot or I can prep a little and I'm okay. So I can do something like a Knights Black Agents, which requires a pretty decent amount of prep. Um, Or I can do something more like a PBTA where I don't actually have to do very much prep. Yeah. So like for me, that's an asset. Right. I can like for me, that's a thing where I when I look at a game and it's like, oh, there's a lot of prep in this game. I'm like, "Eh, it's okay. No problem. I'll be fine. Like I'll tool. I'll tune up my system. Yeah. Cool. Okay. cool. How about you? For me, um, so improv GMing um, is something that is easier in systems that specifically support this particular style of play, like a PBTA game, for example, right? There are it's many examples example. out there, but it's a, it's an easy one to call out. Um, it is certainly not that you can't do it in games that aren't specifically designed to support it, but gosh, it's a lot easier to do it when the game yeah. is designed to support it. Yeah. So uh, when looking at it, right, just to pick this apart a little, right, when we look at a game that's designed to support uh, improv play, because there is a le- there is an element of improv play in all role playing. Sure, right? the, yeah. the ad table part is more improv than Always. it is actually prep. Yes. But does the game do anything to help you out? Right. Yeah. So and do you have to do do require things like stat blocks to be able to effectively create a combat on the fly? Sure. Do you um, you know how much information does it require? You, you know, do you need to throw together to be able to create an encounter that you might not have prepped is a, a lot of that. So it's just like how much cognitive load is it to create engaging encounters whatever kind of encounter they are without having prepped that information to start and that that's yeah and and pbta games are like actually designed like that right they actually tell you not to prep this game (laughs) they they actually tell you to like start having the conversation and lean into the principles agendas and moves for the gm and the and then the moves on the table yeah. Right. And that's where it like that's that's where kind of all the magic happens. I'm going to go back to prep real quick. Yeah. Um, a game that supports good prep is going to be a game that might have built into it um, an adventure generator. Oh, yeah. Or town generators, encounter mm-hmm. generators. So like Forbidden Lands um, has a Forbidden Lands has a section in their GM's uh, book where they have like just uh, like if you need to randomly make a town. You can roll it all up. Or if you need to randomly make a dungeon, there's like a bunch of things you roll and then bing, bang, boom, you have a dungeon. Yeah. Those are, those are things in a game that support prep. Now, 
you could just not put those in and the game still requires prep. Um, it doesn't help you. Like, it, like, it's not aiding you to get that prep done. Right. Okay. Right. In cool. the same I way, you could, to- you could totally not plan any game, improv all of it, right? Yes. And it, it, you could totally do that, but it will be yeah. easier you, in a game that supports it. You can 100% improv a, a game of 4E, right? Yeah, and totally I will tell could. you this, whether you like it or not, people, you can totally prep a PBTA game. Yeah, you it, absolutely can. You yeah. totally can. Yeah. Um, so, all right, cool. Uh, my next one. Yeah. Um, I don't, I struggle with, right? I struggle with tactics. So I, when I pick up a game book, immediately go to the combat section and see how chunky the combat section is, right? (laughs) So right off the bat, I look at how many pages are in this combat section and how much of it is beyond, um, this is how to make an attack. This is what happens when you get damaged. This is how you heal, right? Every combat system has those. That's fine. But if this combat system also has like a completely separate system for aerial combat and a completely separate subsystem for underwater combat and has like 10 pages of moves, right? So for instance, 3E is not a game, I like a system that I, I generally love because if you go back to D&D 3E, right? It has a chunky combat system. Mm-hmm. It has feats. Yes. Right. And then it has a whole GM section for shit like invisible attackers, flying yes. attackers, underwater yes. attack. Right. Yes. Immediately. So many. And then there's the grappling rules. <laughs> correct. Immediately too much shit for me. And right? subdual damage. Like. <laughs> right. Like, I, like, like. I, and then if like if you go look at the D, the first edition D20 Star Wars had um, it had rules for. Um, people, people combat. It had vehicle. It had a whole vehicle like subsystem and a whole spaceship subsystem. And I was like, I can't. Like, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Okay, I'll give one more example. One of my favorite things, um, going back to Forbidden Lands, is Forbidden Lands monsters mm-hmm. in their little monster manual thing that they have. The monster always has a table that you roll on when it's your turn to attack. So. Like you don't even pick the attack. You just oh, are nice. like, you're like, you roll a D6 and it's like, oh, it roars uh, area attack. And then like, it just gives you like roll for this. Like it does this much damage or whatever. And then on the next turn, you roll the D6 and you're like, ah, uh, it does a claw attack, right? It it completely, <laughs> yeah, it completely yeah. takes from me yeah. the need to do tactics yeah. for this monster because yeah. it's automated it for me and it's great. Like right. I love it. Right. Okay. So that's a game. So I, that's what I'm looking for in terms of supports, right? So first thing, let me back it up and just summarize. First thing I'm looking for is I like games with simple combat rules. If your combat system is complicated, my eyes glaze over. I don't want to run it. Yeah. I don't want to play this game. And then if your game is supporting me because I'm not great at tactics and your game has automated some of the tactical decision making in the game, then I love that. Thank yes. you. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Okay. My struggle um, is recall, right? So to support myself in that, I tend to look for games that don't have a heavy rules lift kind of in general, right? Not just combat, like kind of across the board. I don't like or want to invest a bunch of time and stress fighting my ADHD recall to be frantic at the table about the things that I know that I should remember, but can't remember, right? Like that's a really stressful experience as a GM to be like, oh my God, I know that this is in here somewhere, but I don't remember where, and I can't remember what the answer is and be flipping through a bunch of pages. It's not an experience I enjoy. And it's, it's, it's an experience I've had many times and it, when I talk about the reasons that I initially didn't think I could GM, this is it right here. I didn't enjoy it. My players didn't enjoy it. It wasn't great. So going back to the original question about Fate Core and Fate Accelerated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to hazard a theory here. Have you so, seen the size of those books? Well, sure. <laughs> for sure. But Fate Core mm-hmm. has like 15 skills. Yes. And sometimes there's a question about which skill might be the best skill because then you need to know which you need to know what all those skills do. Yeah. Accelerated has five approaches. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that's literally it right there, right? <laughs> right? Like I can sit down and play Fate Accelerated without even blinking or thinking about it. Yep. Fate Core is like, okay, construct the names of your skills based on the sort of, I mean, you don't have to change the skills you can around, use the right? Core you can set, use the but core most set. people change the names. Most people change the names to, yep. to be this, you know, the setting yes. specific stuff. And it just... It's not that I haven't played a bunch of fake core and I totally like I enjoy fate and I enjoy fake core. But if I'm going to run a game, I'm going to run accelerated. So here's the thing, right? (laughs) Like that's just it. If we get down to it, right? Accelerated and core are not very, very different. They're not. But core is thicker. Yep. Core has more skills that you have to memorize. Accelerated is thinner. Yep. Accelerated has five things, which which is under your threshold to stay in active memory. Yes. That is it yeah. exactly. And it's and, and just to just to really reiterate, I don't know if you think about if you put your fate accelerated book and your fate core book next to each other on a table, and I have both, right? If you put them next to each other on the table, the fate accelerated book is like three millimeters thick. Yeah. <laughs> and the fate core book is like an inch thick, right? Yeah. Like and, <laughs> and so and again, they use almost the same structures, yeah. almost the same mechanics, yes. right? But the the accelerated book has been pared down um, yep. and streamlined, but it falls under your recall threshold. Yes, yeah. The accelerated book, and so therefore, book, it is it is comfortable. Yep has clean has has uh, streamlined just enough of the complication out of the rules to be a very comfortable level of game yep. for me to consume and run. And the other, so now when we talk about like PBTA games, right? PBTA, PBTA games are great in terms for you because everything's the basic on the character moves, sheet. <laughs> right? Well, first of all, right. First of all, the character stuff is all on the character sheet, right? It's in the all, playbook. yeah, like cheat sheet right the, in front of me. <laughs> the move sheet, right? Yeah. That has become a standard in yep. PBTA games. No one Again, memorizes PBA, yeah. right? No one memorizes those no. moves. No. You just have the move sheet. Yeah. And if you're the GM, uh, with the exception of a few games, which I have shamed before and then went and made my own. <laughs> sure. Um, most of them have a sheet that have all the GM moves on it. So, you know, like I almost yeah. never, when I run a PBTA game, I almost never pick up the actual book to look anything up. No. I can almost, I can pretty much run a PBTA game after I've read it. Yes. I can run it from whatever GM sheet, mm-hmm. the basic move sheet mm-hmm. and the players with their playbooks. Yes. Yes. Again, under my threshold for immediate memory recall. Exactly. Right. Right. Because most of it's sitting on the table. It's not actually asking you to recall it. Right. I don't I I can't remember the last time I cracked open a PBTA book during play. Right. Exactly. hundred percent. Unless I am GMing and there's some specific rule, like an action movie world, like there is a specific rule, like what happens if the lead takes five harm. Right. Like I know, like I know it now because I just played it last week, but like you do have to like look and like something else has to happen to them because they can't die kind of thing. Anyway, yes. Okay. Yeah. And so I just, I'm just one more comment on this to expand upon this just a hair more, which is the... The campaign that I ran in fourth edition D&D, where we continuously, I mean, there is an ongoing joke about the fact that I've never read the fourth edition D&D books, right? And I haven't to this day, and I never will. Um, and and it's fine. Like, it doesn't really matter. I'm not going to run it again. Um, but the key in that scenario was that as much as, so as much as this is a joke, right? Um Andy had the rules mastery. I didn't have to contain the rules mastery. I just had to contain the GMing skills. And Andy had the rules mastery to make all of that stuff happen. So it didn't have to live in my recall. So that game also worked out great for me. Absolutely. Sorry. All right. It's a lot on recall. Let's, uh, yeah. (laughs) It's fine. All right. Things that give us energy. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, that's improv GMing. Um, So when I look for a game, like, look, all games have some level of improv jamming. Of course. So what I'm really looking for is where, um, like, what is it, what's it going to do to help me, right? Like, what's it going to do to support me? Because I want to get that energy, right? So I love PBTA games for the fact that the moves have, like, sometimes they have evocative questions or my personal favorite, like, if you've ever seen any of the moves I make, pick lists. I fucking love love pick lists, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right. So I, so I love those because 
you um, when improving, you're just like, oh, roll to seven to nine, pick two, right? Like, oh, I'm going to pick this one and this one. Cool. And then we're going to make up some shit. Yeah. Now, Forged in the Dark is a PBATA cousin. Mm -hmm. It has a lot. It has similar DNA, but it does not have pick lists for bad outcomes. It just relies on the GM to keep making them up. And that makes me tired. Yeah. Every time I've run a Forge in the Dark game, I get tired after the game. I still enjoy it, but like I'm on the spot to make up every one of those things rather than the players picking a thing and tossing it to me yeah. or me picking a thing from my list of GM moves. Yeah. Um, there's a subtle difference, but I do look for those kinds of things. What do you have in your game that's going to make my improv smoother? Easier. Yeah. Cool. Um, so mine for what gives me energy was collaboration. And this does lean, I realize in the context of our previous conversation about collaboration, this definitely leans more on the creative side um, of, of that particular. I'm not skill. surprised. Yeah, right. Um, but it means that I look for games where players are expected to contribute to the story actively, right? Like, again, collaboration is something I can do in any game. Right. I can yep. do it, but it helps when the expectation is set by the game that the players will do it. Right. Yep. Um, and I do run my tables with a lot of sourcing the table because as I'm improving the game, um, it's not something that I want to do alone. Right. I want to do it in collaboration with my players. So in the same way that I look for games that support my improv GMing, I'm looking for games that support me not doing it by myself it's good stuff um lastly for mine um so the thing that uh, the thing that just drains my energy on this like this shit is creating complex npcs i I, again i hate it so there's when i pick up a game i am looking for two things one um are there asymmetric npc blocks so for instance in cortex when uh, in our game long live the queen Actually, I think every one of my Cortex games, this is true. <laughs> Your character sheet is more complex than my NPC block. Yes. I have an asymmetrical NPC block where I don't have individual skills. I just am like, you are this difficulty. You have this distinction. Yep. That's three dice right yeah. there. Right. And then I can choose to, I can stack on more if I want them to be more complicated. So asymmetrical NPC blocks, meaning they're not made from the same pieces as the characters yes right that makes perfect I, sense i do like i and when i say asymmetrical i mean simpler mm-hmm. asymmetrical right yeah. i want my i want a simple stat block that i can then just act out and it seems like it's you know it seems like we're having some sort of um one-to-one combat but what we're really having is you have player with many ideas and i have like simple stat block that i'm just acting through right. um in the absence of asymmetric NPC blocks, because not enough designers fucking do that. So fucking <laughs> wow. do that. Got some um, feels on that one. I, I throw the gauntlet down to, NP, <laughs> to game designers. Fucking make NPC blocks simpler. Um, in the absence of that, then I need a whole ship ton of pre-gen NPCs. Yeah. Like, for instance, you couldn't get me to touch a fucking Marvel superhero game or any superhero game other than masks. Put masks aside for a second. That's okay. If PTA. you don't give me a shit ton of super villains. Yeah. If I got to sit and go make supervillains every time I got to go prep a game, not doing it, not doing it. What I want is to go look up in a book and be like, ah, I'm going to use this guy. Masks um, made fucking cards for this. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, in a little, like towards the end of this episode, which has to end soon. Also, I have to, um, anyway. um, So. Yeah, I like I look like does your book have a whole bunch of NPCs? Does it have generic stack blocks for like minions, lieutenants, things like that? If it doesn't and I'm going to have to build all that stuff, not thrilled. But if your game has a ton of that stuff, even if your game is complicated and I just don't have to make these people, eh, I, I am more likely to play your game. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so my thing that takes energy is organizing game sessions. Um, And unfortunately, this isn't one that a particular game can help me with. And if I want to play the game 
then I have to do it. At some points in my life, I have been very lucky in that other people have sort of spearheaded this a little bit more than me. Right now, it's me. And if I want to play, then I need to do it. So right now, I am just spending the spoons to do it to get to play. And it is part of the reason that when a game doesn't go off, it hits me really hard because I have spent spoons, yeah, right, to to try to make it happen. And and when I don't get those spoons back by actually playing it, it it's, it's a it's the a energy blow, calculation, right? right? It You're is spending blow. spoons to get to the table in order to get you to get spoons for being at the table. If yes. you don't complete the other half of the that if equation, you have you are net equation, loss. Yeah. So I've been yeah. net loss on those. And that's that's the bummer part. Yeah. So anyway, I don't have strong recommendations on that from a game system perspective, but it is worth it to look into things that can make it easier for you, like, you know, doodle calendars and stuff, right? There are sure. ways. There are there are systems. I, I would hazard that the best thing you could do in terms of games is um this is one where if everybody's really interested in the game like if it's a particular game a type of game the setting whatever it helps to overcome organizing the game sessions if people are motivated to be there they will find a way to be there yeah um also i think um the other piece to that is trying to pick games that you will be able to play at even a low quorum so that if something does happen, um, you know that you'll still get those spoons back from doing the organizational work. I'm going to tell you a thing you're not going to like to hear, but if you want to rope your group into a more consistent play, run a campaign. One shot. It didn't, it didn't, nobody, well, we have to have this conversation off mics because we could get super into it. We were in the middle of a campaign when my no, group I, fell I, look, I know what, I know what the problem with your, I know what the problem with your old game group is. I'm yes. talking about your current game group. You want to land your current game group, go run a, go run a campaign because you're going to, you'll create session to session excitement I know, as opposed to the disposable idea that one, one shot is disposable. And if I don't make this one, I can always make the next one. I can't get all of those people to commit long term to a campaign. So I have to I have to titillate them with a one it's shot okay. before I take can... it offline. I have yes. some ideas. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. We gotta get this thing wrapped yeah, up. We're way over go. on time, but I need to talk about one last um one last little thing. And we're actually going to um we're actually going to just cut a chunk of the um, section off of this and we may take it over to the next week. Yeah, I'm like, do we um, just need to do a part two on this? And then part two will also include picking games for your GM style in your GM brain or GM creating your fair. GM style for your I, I GM brain? I think it's brain? fair. We're making an editorial decision yeah, right here. Right so here, right now. <laughs> let me say this. Um, to wrap this all up, let me put a conclusion on it, right? We talked about four sections of a GM brain, right? These are arbitrary sections, but they seem to make sense when you listen to them. There's some example activities in each one. And then what we basically did was we said, um, you are either good at something or struggle at something. You get energy from it or it takes energy away from you. And that you need to kind of take these example activities and these four quadrants and figure out where they land in those bins. and then. When we're looking at games, we want, like we said, we want games that are going to that are going to let us do the things that we're good at, right? Not impede us from doing the things that we're good at. We want them to help us with the things we struggle with, because if we struggle less, right, kind of it's like the advice fun. on the show, yeah. if we struggle less, yeah. it becomes more enjoyable. And we want it to give us more energy than it's going to take to get it to run. Yep. And if we and that is where we find the right fit for a game. Now, when you're a young GM, it's going to be harder to look at rules and make those assessments. As you become a more seasoned GM, you can flip through a book and have a pretty good feel of I could run this or meh, I'm not running this. This is not happening. I'm I'm to the I can't look at an unopened rule, rule like <laughs> yeah. PDF or or a book, but as soon as I open it up and flip through some pages, I can tell you reasonably like I could run this. Yeah. And I think so just to just to put a nice end cap on it next time we yeah. will finish out the last piece of this conversation, which is specifically to talk about how do you evaluate a game to decide 
if it's going to support you in the things that you need to be supported in or not. And we will also talk to you about what to do when a game is missing some things because you don't have to rely on just Just the the game game. to help you. There are there are external supports that you can put into games to help you. And so we'll talk about those. And then we'll also take a chunk and we'll talk about how your GMing style also should fit this model. Yes. That's a lot. There's Come a back lot. next week. We might have a part three. Man, we'll see. we kicked, man, we kicked over a topic <laughs> on this one. Nice job. Nice job. Was that Murakami? Nice job. Thank you very much. Mu- hang on. Oh, I'm sorry. Masakomi. Masakomi. Thank you very much. I appreciate this topic greatly. This has been a lot of fun to delve into. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, send it. We got to get out of here. We, we are do. way over. Tell Jeez. me a show. Tell me about a show on the Misdirected Mark Network, and then we are going to do the fastest closing in history. Sure. On the Misdirected Mark podcast, where they are currently doing Misdirected Mark plays, Phil, Chris, Bob, and Jerry play and discuss a campaign they've created and are playing that Phil is currently running. So if you want to hear some of the stuff that we just talked about in terms of strengths and where supports are, etc., if you want to hear that in practice at the table in what I feel like is a really interesting and fun game to listen to in terms of actual play and then the discussion of things um that are happening in that game that go along with it to give you thoughts and feels about gming or gameplay etc then that is what you will currently get on mm plays right now awesome say send where do people find us on the internet there's only one place you have to go I now where know. is it and it's fun because i just update it now when it changes um so for instance i gotta go add our our now our our blue sky to it but you can find all of our socials and all the ways to contact us at misdirectedmark.com slash panda again that is misdirectedmark.com slash panda wherever on the social medias you want to find us that is where you will find the link to that Take one of those links, reach out to us, give us a topic, a question, a thing you want us to work on. We will put our experience as GMs, our experience as people who give GMing advice uh, and game designers. We will put it all to use to help you run more better games. You already know why. It's just going to be better if you have better time. Again, <laughs> if you get more energy, more energy, energy, from energy running it, you will run more games. Yay! Okay. <laughs> we want that for you. Um, we want you to play a lot of games and have a lot of fun. Okay. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Check out the page. There's a bunch of stuff you can get. There's a couple different tiers. The Slack room is really going to be the entry. Get into the Slack room. You're going to get to meet a whole bunch of us, um, us by hosts, but also a whole bunch of really cool listeners. We have, a, I think we have a really, there's like a, a little tight knit community in there. There's a bunch of things you can talk about with different rooms and things like that. So go check that out um, and then check out the Patreon. You can find out how to get access to more, uh, to more stuff um, that we have in the Patreon. Lastly, um, if you're supporting our Patreon, we thank you very much and appreciate you greatly. If you're unable to support it, we also appreciate you. But there is a little thing you can do with a little bit of your free time um, that helps us immensely. Senda, what is that thing? You can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, or you can tell a friend, you know, when someone says, I'm looking for a system agnostic podcast that talks about GMing and playing and games in general, you can be like, hey, this one is kind of good. I mean, as long as that's what you think, obviously, I don't want you to go lie to people (laughs) anyway. We appreciate it to everybody who's recommended us and left us a review. And thank you to everybody who's going to leave us a review or recommend us. Uh, You guys are all the best. Cool. Hey, say send up. What do you want to talk about next week? Oh, never mind. I already know what it is. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Bloop! Yeah. Clicky, 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 clicky. Bloop! Okay. Ooh, I'm tired. Yeah. Eh, yeah. I'm already six hours into this day. I know. Your Saturdays are busy. Yes, my Saturdays are busy. Yes. There's just a lot going on on Saturdays.
Oh, someday I would love to have a slow Saturday. I don't know what that is. So anyway, um, hello, Ryan. How are Hi, you? Ryan. We're going to do this. And Ryan, I'm going to warn you that somewhere in this recording, there's going to be a gap. Um, our attempts to get this recorded before I had to get up from my desk to turn on the oven have failed. So um, there is going to be somewhere around 57 minutes from now, uh, <laughs> a moment where I am going to get up and have to go do something. And either we will just have some silence. You will need to cut and send it. We'll send you the times or send it. We'll vamp just keep talking and go through <laughs> yeah, it. So we'll see, we'll see no what idea. Yeah. But just putting okay. that out there ahead of it. Okay. Right. All right. Let's get aligned. Bloop. Hello. Okay. Cool. All right. This episode should be called, um, uh, what is it? I don't know. What is it? Oh, I'm thinking of it. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, we should call it GM in the membrane. Okay, good. GM in the brain. In the brain. <laughs> Glad you're with me. I was afraid we were going to have one of those moments where you were like, what song is that? And I was no. going to have like a stroke. No, that's a we're pretty not famous. That's a pretty famous song one, for the 90s. I definitely know that one. No, um, we don't have to have a moment like when that person on TikTok was like, I just discovered this, this music festival that was all women in the 90s. And we were both like. <laughs> Never have I felt more like Thanos at the end of the game. <laughs> all right. Are you ready? <sighs> yes. Bloop. <laughs> Oh, that's true. You definitely have trained some of these things in. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But they are things that you don't have to put special effort consideration or spend yes. extra spoons on. However, well, you've gotten there, right? Oh boy. Oh, I feel like I'm, I'm just gonna back us right up here. I, I feel can, like I feel like I feel let's like we just haven't start this whole conversation over again. Spoons <laughs> are the next section. I know. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have talked You're about spoons. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't remember what's down there, even though I just read them. You should know this by now. <laughs> okay. Try again. Okay. Ryan, you're gonna have to do some. I'm so sorry. Clean up Ryan. an aisle fifteen here. Fifteen forty-seven uh, is at least it was before that, but um, boy, I'll lead us back in. Okay, thank you. Bloop. Sorry, I just came up with next week's um what show show idea. What is it? Making your GM style fit your GM brain. Oh boy. See, yeah, we should talk, we've we been talking. Everything we're yeah. talking about here is we're looking at the game. We're looking at the games but, themselves, but, but there's a whole set. But you've been saying it, and I've been saying yeah. it, right? We've both been saying like, I can do this elsewhere. Like, yeah, I can do this without the game helping me. Yeah, yes. So also, your GMing style becomes um, influenced by your GM brain. So cool, we're gonna do that you're talk right, as well. You're right. You're right. No, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's right, right. Like, we're, this <laughs> is like this is this is like and this is our any shit right here. Okay. I can't edit this down to 15 minutes. <laughs> okay. Bloop. Pause. I have to go yeah. turn on my oven. <laughs> I was going to say I could just keep going, but I'll write down the time. Oh, we're a mess today. 59 shit. Speaking of recall, uh, one seven. Okay. Good thing I can still see the audio time since I already couldn't remember it. Having just looked at it. Brain days. Bloop. Show me what you got. 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 Show me what you